Let's go back to a Go Loud original. And here we go. This city deserves a better class of criminal. I'm gonna give it to him. No! You'll see. I'll show you. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Hello, you're very welcome along. This is Let's Go Back to the Dark Knight. We are going back to 2008. We're going back to watch Gotham City rid itself of all its crimes while Christian Bale talks through a very sore throat. My name is Owen Sheehan. Sue Murphy, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Very well. Our special guest today is News Talk tech correspondent, but most importantly, Dark Knight superfan, Jess Kelly. Jess, you are very welcome. Thank you. I think I'm the special guest because I'm utterly crap when it comes to movies and TV. And like my heart is racing. My little Fitbit here is telling me my heart rate is 103. (laughs) I am so afraid. I've never been so full of imposter syndrome in my entire life. But sure, look, we'll give it a go. It's not true. It's not true. We just have this terrifying effect on people that they uh, step into the lines then, the, the, the fearsome tone that we bring to things, Sue. Uh, I'm taking that as a compliment. Uh, we got to get your credentials uh, straight here, Jess. You have seen The Dark Knight how many times? Oh, like around 200 times. Well, it's actually probably more than that. So I... Okay, I'm a weirdo. Let's just get this out of the way now. I am a control freak, as Sue Murphy will know, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I take that... Thanks, Sue. I take that into every walk of life. And my big thing when it comes to movies and TV is that I don't like not understanding or I don't like falling asleep and not following something. So I have this thing where I'll put on the same film or TV show again and again and again. So that way then I'm not missing anything. So say if I'm cleaning my apartment over the weekend, I'll put on Line of Duty because I've seen it a billion times and I'm not afraid of missing anything. The Dark Knight is my go-to movie, firstly because I love it, but also if I can't sleep, I'll put it on and fall asleep to a bit of violence in Gotham City. <laughs> Am I the only one? That can't just be me. I just yeah. I can't understand how you, like, when you said, so I said this to Owen when we were talking about this, I said, Jess actually falls asleep to this, this film, I can't understand it, because it's one of the loudest, like it has this drone that's underneath it in the soundtrack all the way through it, and there are several, like, high-octane... <laughs> fight sequences and violence you know like how in god's name do you fall asleep to it like you see i don't know i think it's because i know what's going to happen i mean if you want to just not get my analysis of the movie i can do the full dialogue for you now i know every <laughs> word of it and i can even act out the fight scenes so i my brain just kind of switches off i'm not even listening it's almost like a comfort blanket so there's a precise moment when alf uh, when um, Morgan Freeman flies to meet Mr. Lau in Hong Kong and they have a meeting yeah. at that point every single time I just fall asleep it's like magic <laughs> it's magic and is it still like playing away in the background in your sleep and stuff yeah yeah oh like I very often when I lived at home when I still lived at home with mum and dad I would put on the DVD and I'd often wake up at like three in the morning and have the starter menu of the... Yeah, we were talking about this. I had the, I used to fall asleep during The Sopranos. The Sopranos was the one I watched, watched over and over again. But it was that... Uh, 
you know yeah. the, the, the title menu and I'd wake up at like four o'clock in the morning and be on loop and you just fall asleep to it again because you're like I can't find the remote it doesn't matter but <laughs> well, the thing about the dark night one though is that it's so anxiety inducing and then I wonder why I'm a stress bunny but it's like if I wake up at three o'clock in the morning to I'm like oh that'll explain the anxiety attack later on in the day yeah that'll be that uh, this is remarkable. Like this is, we've got a, a series of questions slash categories that we're going to go through here every week. Mm. And for the first question is, how many times have you seen movie X or television show X? I can say here straight away, this is episode one. That will not be topped, even if it's a <laughs> twenty-minute episode. Over two hundred times is absolutely extraordinary, Jess. Like so, like I, I, I don't like when you're rewatching it. Then this week for this, are you like? This is kind of boring. I don't know exactly <laughs> no. what's going to happen. No, I, and this is why I think it is the ideal movie to go back to because the performances in it are brilliant. The story in it is really good. But from the very first scene, so the second it comes on, it's all black and then all of a sudden you're seeing the back of the Joker. You don't know it's the Joker. It's very high octane. The music, everything about that first shot just reels me in every single time and I don't care that I know what's going to happen because if I'm actively watching it versus just having it on in the background I am sucked in and I love it and I think the that scene that the bank robbery scene um at the top of the film it is just brilliant and and you kind of get a real insight into the tone of the movie the pace of the movie the dark twisted bonkers nature of the Joker character um I love the guy who kind of comes out what's his name the guy who kind of like shoots through the glass and he says you know you know who you're stealing from you and your friends are dead yeah. again it's just putting the stakes up so high of who this gang is messing with and then of course the only one that comes away alive is the joker hashtag spoiler alert yeah i actually read last night um i, d- I ended up in the trivia section of imdb which is fairly lengthy for the dark night. But the one thing is they don't actually have title credits. And I never, I never realized that until I read it. I was like, oh my yeah, God, I love there's it. no, you're straight in. You're just, there's mm-hmm. no messing around. It's straight into the first couple of minutes of the film. I think that's like, it's very confident filmmaking. It's like, I don't have to announce anyone here. We're just going to get straight into it. <laughs> Yeah, like I think that adds to like there there are and this is why it's mental that I fall asleep to it, but there are a number of attacks on your senses as you're watching this film. Like there are a number of times where the music does kick out kick in super loud. Like we have a nice sound system at home that has a subwoofer. And so I always turn like the bass up as high as it can go. And so you kind of feel like the your first neighbors floor, must fucking love you. <laughs> oh, I say they absolutely hate us. But I have a great time and that's all that matters. But so you do kind of get fully absorbed in it. And even there are scenes where like Batman has fallen out of the sky. And if you have a good TV, and this is where the tech comes into it, if you have a good TV, you can almost feel your tummy turn as that's happening because it's so immersive or maybe I need to sit back from the Jesus TV (laughs) well like I I think that you you, uh, point out a very important part in all of this which is William Fitchner being an absolutely amazing bank manager and we need his own spin-off at some point what is the backstory to his character here like I'm not sure does he have a name I presume he's just called bank manager can we get a prequel to this guy like this is the the backstory I want the, the ballsy bank manager yeah, I agree. Well, I think he's great. Well, he was in Prison Break as well, I think. Mm. And I saw Prison Break after I saw this. And then I was kind of disappointed with how shite his character is in Prison Break. <laughs> it's just a bit of trivia from Jess Kelly's brain there. Now. <laughs> Straight out of there. Not at all planned. Absolutely amazing. 
Um, the, the first thing I want to get here, actually, considering this has become just a, such a part of your day-to-day life or week-to-week life, I don't know how often you watch this, but your first watch, when was the first time you saw oh, this? Like, early. Early. <laughs> I saw it in the cinema, and the reason I saw this, because I wasn't really into the superhero movies, and I actually saw this before I saw Batman Begins, because I think Christian Bale is a bit of a dose like I just cannot totally agree. stand him. He makes we my skin crawl in a little way. Yeah, um, but totally I saw, agree. Um, but no, I saw it in the cinema and I think one of the reasons why it was on my radar is because of Heath Ledger. Um, obviously, there was a lot of talk about Heath Ledger, his performance, his sad death, like all of those different things led to a lot of hype about the movie. And so I went to see it. And I think I went to the cinema in Dundrum but I, again, I remember straight away being hooked because of the way the first few minutes of the film go. And I remember loving the, the Joker character. Um, I remember really liking Gary Oldman's character. I, I just remember being, like, being bought into the whole thing. Like, I think um, Harvey Dent is a great character as well. Like, I think he is portrayed brilliantly. The people I don't like in it, and I love a good moan, so let's just get into it. Don't like Christian Bale and don't like Maggie Gyllenhaal. They just need to go and have a moan fest together somewhere. I cannot abide them. But do you, do you oh, not think I'll that take. Christian Bale is a, is a good Batman? Uh, yeah, but like he's a bit of a moany hole, isn't he, really? <laughs> yeah, well, we were actually talking about this yesterday, you know, because I was talking about him having the absolute conniption with the director of photography. And I was like, after that, I just cannot deal with him anymore. <laughs> okay, so you're, you're saying that this is a guy who, away from the camera, away from, you know, being an amazing superhero, is not a nice guy. And you, you just can't separate that, Sue. Like, I, I, yeah. can you not just appreciate the art for what it is? He's actually a pretty good Batman, which is not an easy thing to be. But I totally think he's a good Batman. And I'm actually, like, of all the people, because Heath Ledger actually auditioned for, well, I don't think he auditioned, but Christopher Nolan had spoken to him originally about Batman. And I was like, no, that's all wrong. It has, because Christian Bale Mm. is the, like, you know that scene at the fundraiser when he turns up in the helicopter and he has all the women on his arm and you're just like, oh, Jesus Christ. Mm. And that's perfect. That's Bruce Wayne. You can totally buy into that. But I think he is a really... Like that, that kind of other side to him where he's like this really serious man. Because that, I feel like Christian Bale is like that. He's like this big, mad, serious head that goes around. <laughs> yeah, I kind of wish I hadn't seen Batman Begins or The Dark Knight Rises because I, I think getting too much exposure to Christian Bale's Batman, he's just a bit of a money hole dose. And I think that needs to just be left to, a, uh, to an aside. I think the way he's portrayed in the dark night is brilliant and there are so many good scenes that are just racing through my mind now where you're like okay he's a good batman and i think you get the arrogance of bruce wayne you get the swagger of bruce wayne you get some of the insecurity of bruce wayne as well which i think is quite interesting and it's quite good to see those elements um but like the star for me is 110 percent heath ledger i think he really just embodies the manic nature of the joker and what i love is that when you're looking at him, obviously enough because of the makeup and all the rest, but you wouldn't know it's Heath Ledger. You know, like he, I think he just personifies or he embodies something entirely different. Everything down to like the sarcastic claps, the manic laugh. There's the brilliant scene, you know, when he, he kind of um, busts in on the meeting of all the, the gangsters and he goes like, do you want to see a magic trick? And he bounces your man's head off the pencil. And you're like, mm. oh, I'd love to have the balls to do that someone in the office today. Like, it would be great. I would. Stop talking to me, the printer. 
<laughs> yeah, he's, he, he, like it's it's really weird. I I just had this strange divergence of two people when I was looking at Heath Ledger when I was looking at it the last day. I was like, I can't rem- I can't decide whether he reminds me more of Hannibal Lecter or Graham Norton. So he's like a mix between the two of them, and that is where you get Heath Ledger's Joker. And I, I can't do anything about that. I can't do anything about the fact that that came into my head while watching this movie. I'm not saying it's it's a good comparison. I'm not saying it's correct at all. It's the Graham that Norton thing. I don't get. I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know where that came in. Uh, like, it's an absolutely phenomenal performance. And it was just when he's uh, hovering over at Batman in the skyscraper at the end. I was like, oh, there's a couple of mannerisms there that, re- that remind me of him. Uh, but, like, I mean, it's, it's just an absolutely sensational performance. It, it is a thing that completely defines this film without any lack of pressure, let's face it. Like, when you're yeah. going to see this, you're like, okay, so this is the last piece of art this guy has ever been involved with. Like, they, like, they, like, from the audience's standpoint, you're hearing the hype, you're hearing the Oscar connections, you're hearing that this is obviously, like, everybody was very well aware that this was the last piece of work that Heath Ledger was involved in. You're mm-hmm. like, no pressure for this to be a big moment for him because it could so easily have got slated for some of the same reasons. But, oh my God, it, it, it's just, even when he's not on screen and he's only on screen for half an hour of the whole thing, he is just this lurking threat and he is the main reason why it just has that undercurrent of tone that you're like, oh my God, this things are a little bit terrifying all the time in this. Yeah. Yeah. Like actually I was reading about last night about, um, because it is his very last role. He hadn't shot anything else and he just finished when he, uh, when the film came out, people were like, oh my God, did he manage to fin- to even finish it? Because there were rumors that he hadn't managed to do his loops and everything at the end. But like we were talking yesterday on about the, um, sorry, Jess, I feel like we, me and Owen had like a secret meeting about the Dark Knight, but we kind of did. But uh, <laughs> the best supporting, <laughs> the best supporting actor nominees for that year, because there's that conversation around him um, that he he didn't deserve it, like that he just had got it because he passed away. Now, like the the Oscars for that year, the nominations were Josh Brolin for Milk. Robert Downey Jr. for Tropic Thunder, which I think is a terrible film. Philip Seymour Hoffman for Doubt and Michael Shannon for Revolutionary Road. Like he's in good company. But mm. are any of those performances better than Heath Ledger's in The Dark Knight? Absolutely not. Well, I would definitely go as far as to say that none of them are as memorable as Heath Ledger's. Like I can't remember any of those performances, but I think they were all pretty good. Like you go through the standard of actor who's in that category and you're like that is actually a bloody good year but at the same time nothing is as memorable and i i just think that we're talking about two different stratospheres of memorable performance here not even just in quality but in terms of memorable like for every single generation every single walk of person who either watches movies to get some sort of higher artistic understanding of life from it or people who just like to eat popcorn and go to the cinema. Everybody loved this performance. He appealed to everybody who went to see this. So many brilliant one-liners, so many brilliant monologues in this whole thing and an excellent performance that it is single-handedly the most memorable performance of the 21st century so far by anybody. So I think once you look at at the category that he's involved in, you're like, yeah, he deserved to walk away with this. Yeah, absolutely. And there's that, sorry, I was reading this thing about Gary Oldman last night as well. They were talking about what it was like to be in the set with him. And they were all saying, you know, Gary Oldman was one of the best actors we've ever worked with. And Gary Oldman was walking around going, oh my gosh, Heath Ledger, what he's doing here is absolutely mm-hmm. unbelievable. And then I was trying to think about being on that set. Can you imagine being on that set and watching him put in that performance? Mm-hmm. Like, but I just don't... Yeah, like a lot of people, a lot of people were saying that like he 
kind of personified the Joker when he, like, even when they weren't shooting and that his mood took an impact because it was such a big role and because it was so demanding. A lot of the stuff, if you read about how he was in the lead up to his death, it seems like the role did take a, a huge toll on him. Um, and I think that's evident. But going back to the point of the awards thing, this is what annoys me about people like you, Sue Murphy. <laughs> Jesus. Right? Sit back. No, but seriously. <laughs> no, but in terms of like movie critics, because I think there's a few different types of movie critics. Now, you're not actually the, the type of one that I'm going to yeah. get out of it. I knew what you were about to say there. But I'm going to have a go with you anyway. You're All in front right. of me. But... I don't like movie critics, whether they're on broadcast or in print, who, who make it so notionsy that like nobody actually gives a shite what they're talking about. Is the movie enjoyable? Is it worth, you know, spending 13 euro on a cinema ticket or is it worth getting or renting from, you know, Apple TV or whatever the hell it is? Is it worth my time and money? Will I enjoy it? Don't talk to me about the cinematography or any of the crap that nobody actually cares about. Sometimes when I read through lists, whether it is for movies or books, and maybe I'm just thick, but I'm like, some of the stuff they're talking about just doesn't appeal to me because you're trying to consider it as a piece of art rather than a piece of entertainment. And I think they're two very different things. Now, in my opinion, Heath Ledger kind of struck both of those targets. But I think sometimes people can get a bit notionsy when it comes to award season and all that sort of jazz. Yeah, no, I I actually totally agree with you because I think that critics... Critics are like, and critic is even a strong word. Like I hate even calling myself a critic. Like when people are like, are you a film critic? I'm like, no, I just review films. It's not like, mm. it's just, it just has such a loaded word, but there is a certain, like you might go see seven or eight films a week and suddenly you're in this thing where you're like, oh God, like that has to, it, it just has to be brilliant for you to even take notice of it. And I think mm-hmm. once you're a critic for about 30 years, you've forgotten that you can just go and see something like Die Hard. <laughs> and enjoy it like I remember coming out of the cinema once and um there was a I won't mention names but there was a a a critic who's a friend of mine and we'd left uh, One Direction This Is Us the documentary and he was like oh Jesus Christ that was one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life and I was like yeah but like it was a bit of crack and also you're not the freaking target audience like Mm. they're not thinking Mm. that you're going to go to the cinema and buy it you know I definitely I just think it is noticeably, and you know some of the stuff that you're like, there's certain directors that release stuff and it's really like you have to like them because they're a certain director and yeah. they do things a certain way. And it's just, it's so ridiculous because we were talking about this um, last week on, because I was talking about Hellstrom, there's a, a series that's on Disney at the moment and the critics have given it 23% and the audience is 86%. Like that's just wildly <laughs> different because people are enjoying it and it's mm. I definitely felt like actually Dark Knight kind of crossed that that, that bar a little bit because critics were just saying these are unbelievable performances and they were taking it really seriously but there were a certain amount of people who were just like that was just a really good film and I had a really good time like so yeah. I agree with well did it did it change how critics view films a little bit or at least how maybe the academy viewed things because here is Batman that a critically acclaimed Batman. If you said that to somebody in 2007, they would have been yeah. like, what the hell are you talking about? Whereas now in 2021, it's like, that's kind of more normal. I still think The Dark Knight, by the way, is the best comic book film ever made. So I actually think it's all been downhill since then. But still, I do think it is a bit of a watershed moment where the Academy, at least, if not critics at large, had to be like, we do have to take this seriously. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I, I think there was a... 
when he got nominated for Best Sporting Actor, there was a collective like, oh, what, somebody's nominating a superhero film? And mm. I think it opened a lot of conversations around those, around those as well because they're, they had to change the, the films that year from, I think it was five nominations to 10. I think that was the first year they'd done it. And it was really getting to the point where I think people felt like they weren't being represented by the Oscars. So people were going to see Wally three times in a year and they were bringing kids because they, they loved it. But Wally was like best animation and it's not being featured anywhere else. Like, is it, should it be a best film? Yeah, probably people are going to see it. There's a huge divide there between the Oscars and people, what people will go and watch and what people go and see. And it definitely changed all those conversations. But I, I think definitely it was a little bit, because the DC comics are so dark and they got very, very, very dark. They seem to get darker every single film. That's where Marvel stepped in because they're like, okay, well, we can write a funny script and they can make these guys really funny and clicky and jokey. And then suddenly you had 375 films from Marvel. So it went in a different direction because of it. But I think it was, it had reached a level with the dark night where you went, there's nothing, there's nothing we can contribute to this anymore. This is the best yep. we can do. We rewatched the Avengers there last week because there's literally nothing else to do. And I also hate the Avengers. I've decided I hate them all. They can all just get into the sea. I have no time for any of them. And I think the issue is that, so like I like fantasy and I like sci-fi and all the rest, but there's not the same level of humanity or reality in the Avengers movies as is in The Dark Knight. Like The Dark Knight has like superheroes very powerful people they have super villains they have all of these different things but there is an element of reality and again I know I probably sound like a dope but when I was in Chicago the year before last I was walking around and I was like oh my god this is like just like being in Gotham City and you know the Joker could zoom by on a skateboard any minute and I, I think that I like movies that have elements of fantasy but then also they have to be rooted in something like the Avengers yeah. movie are possibly the worst thing that's ever happened to humanity. <laughs> Not for the sweeping statements, are you? <laughs> I'm just saying it like it is. I'm actually a big fan of the Marvel films. I remember when Iron Man came along, I, I definitely felt like, because I was like reviewing films quite a bit at that stage. And I remember I got to the point where I was like, oh my God, this is a welcome break from watching like really dark superhero films. I felt at that stage, I needed something that was a bit different. And Thor came along. And then once I hit Civil War and it was Captain America versus I was like, oh, I can't, I just can't. And it was, everything was so tiresome after that. And you were going, oh great, we've another one of these to review. Brilliant, I'm sick of watching these. And that like, I feel like people are, we were talking about this yesterday as well. I feel like people are just going back to those films, like The Dark Knight and Batman Begins and going, okay, this is where it was good. Mm. <laughs> the, like one of the questions I would have around the Joker in this then if we accept that and you've said it there Jess that it is all about Heath Ledger you hate Christian Bale so it has to be largely about mm -hmm. Heath Ledger for you like is there a danger that if we look at this film rather than just the Joker here that this is just a showcase for Heath Ledger and that is the reason why the movie is brilliant like are, are you willing to go that far Jess or are you like no there are so many other redeeming qualities here that you could get by with a good film even without him yeah, I don't think you get by without him, but I don't think it all just hangs on him. I think the storyline is really good. And I love the the sort of moral journey that um, Harvey Dent goes on. Like putting him up as this poster child who would never do anything wrong. He's willing to take risks. He's willing to do what needs to be done to try and tackle these big crime players. And then seeing him in that position where he and Rachel 
are both tied up to explosives and they have to just like their friends have to decide who's coming to get them then Owen has thoughts on that by the way it mainly revolves revolves around how much he hates the Gotham police but oh well listen like I mean Harvey Dent I completely agree with you phenomenal character I think he deserves as much attention as the Joker does on this it's just Maybe with all due respect to all the parties involved, it's not as portrayed as by as good a performance as Heath Ledger. And... They're going to hear, so you don't need to apologize to them. I think they're going to be okay with your taste. <laughs> no, I don't think I'm not accepting else that. Be okay. No, I don't, I, I don't accept that whatsoever. I apologize, Christian, <laughs> on behalf of Jess Kelly and the defamatory <laughs> remarks that have been made earlier on. Christopher Nolan, we're coming for you next. Uh, cover your ears right now. Uh, Harvey Dent, uh, we, see, we see this guy, he's like Jimmy Lannister at the start and he flips this coin and I'm like look at this charming guy who was like the king of high school prom and he comes in like swaggers around new sheriff in town I'm gonna put manners on this city sort of thing I just think that like the downfall is such a very obvious way of portraying it where even if you knew nothing about the Batman universe you like show up to the first scene where he's in the courtroom trying to impress the girl beside him and it's like this guy is gonna have a spectacular downfall I don't know how (laughs) it's gonna happen but this guy is gonna get his comeuppance because he has flipped the coin uh, you make your own look uh, in the opening scene and you're like, come on, this guy's a dick. Of course, he's going to go, go through uh, an unfortunate moment here. Now, he enamors himself to everybody throughout by being the actual shining white knight of Gotham City. And, th- and that's brilliant. But then, like before they get separated, he's like, he gets packed into the, into the cop car and he's like, I've got a date with a pretty upset girlfriend. And I'm like, oh my God, all these like one-liners about this uh, traditional male character uh, leading the way here. This is obviously going to end in tears. And he also represents then what is wrong with the Gotham City Police Department. Like there has never been a more incompetent set of individuals as the Gotham Police Department. Can you name one correct thing? that they did throughout the entire... They are all so, so, so bad at their job. Like the situation where Mayor Garcia, there's an assassination attempt on him and all the cops are tied up upstairs. Two guys did that. Joker and his buddy managed to tie up six policemen. Where were their guns? Where was the use of force to actually stop that from happening? I'm not quite sure. Uh, the, the response from Jim Gordon to pretend that he was actually dead all along uh, and he wasn't like, what was the point of that? And then the sort of six men all gathered around the bat signal pointing it towards the sky at one point saying, please, Batman, come and save us. They're all useless. They all have different parts going on in their relative roles here where like this makes absolutely no sense. So uh, they've got a police department I'm not here for. Uh, and I'm sure they, they are listening, Jess, and uh, they will hit back with ferocious force <laughs> over the next little yeah. while. I'd say you're going to get a little defamation case landing on your desk now on Monday against them. The thing that they do well is when shots are fired, when they're saluting uh, the mayor who's been killed is they duck so they did do something right they, they ducked when fi- a gunshot went off so you know it's not all mm. bad it's not all it, bad it's, it's pretty bad like uh, the reason we were talking about it was the um, the choice between Harvey and Rachel and you're just like like you have two addresses like how long and I, what I can't understand mm-hmm. is when you, they, that shot when okay so you're, you're trying to figure out which building they're at and they're all like standing outside why isn't anyone moving really fast towards the building? I feel like the, the explosion happens and then they're all standing there and you're like, did you even try to come into that building? <laughs> mm. like that's, that's a really, really poor mark against Harvey Dent, I think. like Everybody hates Harvey Dent, even before he became Two-Face. Like Nobody made an effort to save him. Everybody thought they were trying to save her because obviously Joker gives out the opposite addresses. And it's like, has anybody even tried to make an attempt? Like, I get why you would try and save her before him. 
but nobody makes an attempt. Like Gary Oldman. Why would you though? Why would you try to save her? She is an absolute dose. Like she is <laughs> get into the sea. She is like I just can't stand her. The whole way through the film, she is sarky. She clearly is in love with Bruce Wayne, but she's hanging out with Harvey Dent because he's popular. She's like going to a date with your man um Harvey Dent, but then Bruce Wayne and his ballerina one comes in and she's totally mm. fine with it. And it's just like pick a side. I actually would have yeah. just gone out. Harvey Dent because he's done good for the community. She's just been a money hole. Yeah, I don't. I actually don't like Maggie Maggie Gyllenhaal in this film, and I usually like her, but she she I agree with you. She really annoyed me in this. I don't know why because they don't just make her out to be the love interest. They make her out to be the assistant DA, and she's quite smart except for that bit at the start where she has to clarify what she's actually charging him with. But she, you know, she's not thick. Like she is quite clever and she's smart. But I preferred Katie Holmes. I thought Katie Holmes was a really good Rachel Dawes. And she left it for some crappy Diane Keaton film that I hadn't heard. Like, she was cast in The Dark Knight and mm. left. Like, talk about mm. the worst decisions you're ever going to make. But I oh, totally no. agree with you. Really? Oh, yeah. Like, I, I, I think uh, Katie Holmes shot herself in the foot a little bit by deciding to do that Diane Keaton. It was Queen yeah. Latifah in that movie as well. Yeah. Like, I, I, um, I don't understand why she would do that considering she missed out on this. Uh, I think that Maggie Gyllenhaal and Christian Bale have a decent chemistry for one thing in this. Like, I don't think anybody has a decent chemistry with Harvey Dent, for example, because he's Harvey Dent and it's just impossible to have a, a good chemistry with that particular character. I always find that a little bit cold, but I think that's kind of the point. Like, I'm, I, I, I'm definitely here for Maggie Gyllenhaal in this. I think, like... Uh, I think she's really good, like, and I, I think that she's actually an upgrade on Katie Holmes, performance-wise. Oh, no, I don't think so. I actually really, I, I don't know what it is about Katie Holmes in it, but I thought she was very, now the Katie Holmes side mouth thing really bothers me. Mm-hmm. I can't actually watch her for very long. I know that's really, really picky and really, really mean, but I can't. I just, like, when I was watching Dawson's Creek, I was like, please stop, please stop doing that thing with your mouth. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> Maggie, I just think she's a better actress than this, and it was a very kind of, in some parts, 2D rolling is like, go out, go out there and give out to Joker about your, your boyfriend. But sorry, just on the Harvey Dent stuff, I, I feel like they had to make him the way they made him in the film because they had to show that nobody in Gotham is like this, that everyone in Gotham is one way flawed or another and he's like on a different... I, don't, I, don't, I kind of... We, we were saying cheesiness. Like, I definitely think that the cheesiness around him is just showing that he's like this really good guy and the rest of these people are just kind of struggling around with being normal people. And he is this like white knight and he had to be something that was completely different. I, I don't know. I'm not a big massive fan of his character, actually. I don't really, I think he is a bit, by the time he starts like pulling out the gun and he's walking around with the second part of his face, it's just like, no, it's too big a, a difference to who he is. And like the... Were flawed than that I don't think like yes the stuff with the the coin is a bit cheesy and yes some of his lines with Rachel you're just like oh go away but I actually think that he shows it's almost like a build-up throughout the film so when um Gary Oldman's character says you know look we're going after the mob and he understands the risks of that and he acknowledges that there's the, the marked bills and he's not afraid to take risks he's not afraid to go after your man Lau and you know bring him back and get him to talk I actually think that the, the surface level is meant to be this cheesy suave very smooth man who can you know just get through life on his looks or whatever but as you scratch the surface you get to see that there's more to him and he's more 
insecure perhaps than you might think because we see that at the fundraiser in um, Bruce Wayne's like whatever it is penthouse you get to see his moral dilemma you get to see his rage you get to see his fall from grace I actually think he is not as complex as the Joker but I definitely think there's more of a story arc there and there's more layers to him than just dude with nice hair and a flippy coin there's, that's like there's more to him than that how, how like can you stand over that comment while he is lying in a bed in a hospital and there is a nurse standing over him with the Joker's makeup here and the Joker's hair and he doesn't understand that it's the Joker until she takes he off the, the mask. mask. I mean, look, <laughs> I'm going to lie to you. I've spoken to the water cooler in the office before. I think that it was hot. I they, no did, they did say he was in a lot of pain and out of his mind, to be fair to him. <laughs> and no, like, his anyway, face blown off. I, I apologize to my reflection sometimes when I'm walking by if I get too close to myself. So I'm not going to judge somebody else's <laughs> utter banana, shitty decision making in life because I, that's fair enough. That scene, though, is brilliant that's one of those scenes that kind of gives me butterflies in my tummy even if i'm on the 405th watch of it i'm like ooh, the tension in this room is so exciting and i think that the chemistry and the dynamic between um harvey dent and the joker is like it's just brilliant and you see some of the comic or the comedic bits from Heath Ledger in that scene as well. Like, I love when he's walking out of the hospital and he's doing his little Sue Murphy walk. You know the Sue Murphy waddle over for her backpack and her bubble hat and her hot chocolate? He's kind of doing the Sue Murphy walk out of the oh, hospital. Jesus. And the detonator doesn't work. I love that. I think that's a perfect comedic moment and I think it's great. Yeah, like, I, I kind of, I love, well, obviously all of that scene is brilliant, but there's almost, I, when I watch that scene, I'm always trying to think, is the Joker just cr- trying to create another villain here? Or does he have a moment of humanity for Harvey? And I, I, I can't, because you kind of start to think, you know, the Joker is just so absolute and he's just like, I'm here to cause chaos and I don't really care about anything else. But I don't know, there's something about that scene where I'm like, does he take pity on him? Why? What, what, what gives you that impression rather than the idea that he just wants to create more chaos and letting him live and cause more havoc? It's, it's like he's trying to take him out of his pain a little bit and when he goes over to him at the bed and he's like holding his hand he's like you know I can't remember what his line is but it's basically like stop stop like getting into this go and take revenge basically for what has happened you know but I, I just I don't know why I always feel like that's the one shred of the film where you see the Joker slightly take maybe it isn't pity maybe he's just trying to create another monster mm. but I don't know what it is about it it feels like pity but is that not the, the, the whole thing of, like he says the line in a few different scenes or he alludes to the same sort of point in a few different scenes of like, you're going to have to break your one rule. So whatever the thing that you say you never would do, you're going to do. And that's what he's pushing people to. He's pushing people to breaking point to try and find if everybody is as broken as he is. That's what I take from that scene is that he's trying to push Harvey from this golden boy of the world, the legal world to, to prove the point anybody can be made or, or, or broken. Broke you know what I mean? It's, it's not, yeah, I, I just think that that's what I get from that. He's trying to bring him to the point of turning because if Harvey Dent, like if Harvey Dent does it, then literally anyone can do it. That's what I took from that rather than any sort of humanity from the Joker. Because even the scene on the boats, when he has the, the people on the boats and they've got the detonators, like all of that is mind games. And I think 
that is a really good illustration of humanity and the calls. And you know, the way there's those like um, psychological moral tests that they do of like, if you're driving in a car and you could either knock over one person who's like on the footpath or kill six people who are tied to a train track or whatever that story is, like which one would you do? That's kind of an illustration of this in movie form, I think, when the two ships have the two detonators and you see the big bad criminal take the thing and chuck it out the window. The thing that I take from it when I'm watching it seriously is the lessons in morality. That's what I take away from it. I think there's a lot it's a thought-provoking film. Once you get beyond the the, the Batman-y bits and the Jokery bits, there's a lot of morality and questions of morality throughout the film. Absolutely. And I think that brings us on beautifully to our next question here. We've kind of like skipped over a few of these, but one question I actually want to do, uh, do in a concrete manner, Jess, is has this movie changed with you? And do you see new things every time you watch it. So on this question of morality, is like the 2021 version of Jess Kelly like in a much more strong place morally and you're like, tut, 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 compared to 2008 Jess Kelly, you were like, yes, I want to see the world burn. I mean, I've always been a SWAT and a rule follower, but also a little bit psychotic. So I think, you know, I go on that journey with the characters. Uh, is that just the only clip you're going to use that I'm a bit psychotic? <laughs> um, <laughs> Everywhere. <laughs> Uh, I, I do think I definitely take away different themes now versus then the, the first time I saw it or the first 30 times I saw it. The first few times I saw it, I was very much watching it in the vein of somebody who's aware that Heath Ledger has passed away. He's playing Joker. There's a lot of hype around this role and it's a good story. I think in recent years as I've watched it again, I do see the points around morality and good versus bad and the micro scale of good versus bad and what would push you to break your moral compass or what would push your moral compass to break you know the detective who sells out um somebody because her mother's in the hospital like those type of things if you if you could save your mother by selling out somebody else and you knew that that other person was going to die would you do it like i think those kind of questions when you come away and almost have a book club approach to the movie there are a lot of themes, but it does come down to how strong is your moral compass and what would it take for it to break? Yeah. What do you reckon, Sue? I, I just, I'm laughing because I saw, when I, I rewatched it last week, there's that big scene with Lucius Fox and he's standing in front of the massive screen and with all the phones. And I was like, oh, Jess Kelly's favorite film is this because she loves GDPR so much. And this is where... <laughs> love of GDPR started I'd love to have that skill or that like that network of being able to listen in on different people's phones and see what's being said and stuff but again it's a moral question would you be comfortable with this I wouldn't like I feel guilty if I see someone's notebook open on their desk whereas being able to listen to every conversation I think would just think of the GDPR fine Sue like think of the fine Mm. It, like this is remarkable like we, we see this in 2008 and of course like I mean you said I'm not sure I would have had the same sort of concern about this seeing this in 2008 whereas now I look at it I'm like wow they really saw the future here this Morgan Freeman with the biggest GDPR breach of all time uh, and in fairness Morgan Freeman is concerned about this not a lot of things mm-hmm. concern Morgan Freeman in this movie uh, a lot of the weapons of mass destruction that he has created don't seem to concern him but GDPR certainly concerns Morgan Freeman in this uh, Michael Caine as well could probably do with a little bit of, uh, of a concern like I'm just fascinated by your technological breakdown of sonar and of how effective a tool this is Jess 
Yeah, no, it, like, look, I think it has, it's like anything to do with technology, but the next time I'm talking to Helen Dixon, the Data Protection Commissioner, I might actually ask her about the dark night and go through it from a DPC point of view and identify all of the breaches. Like things like Lucius Fox having two mobile phones and being okay <laughs> one behind. What data is on that mobile phone? Is there confidential company information? Does it have a pin lock? Is the data encrypted? That would give me an anxiety rush. The fact that Batman has great facial recognition technology is stunning. The fact that he has the technology to identify a bullet from fragments is insane. Where the hell is all of this in day-to-day -day life that could make humanity that bit safer? Like, I think we need to learn from Batman. One other question I would have on the tech front is mm -hmm. the scene when Joker goes into the gangster's room and kills your man via pencil. Like, first yeah. of all, he killed, he killed the man with a pencil. I'm not sure if I believe that. But anyway, the question I'd have with this is the conversation with Lau yeah. seems to be happening live. He seems to be being beamed into this room from a plane going to Hong Kong, but he's on like a cathode ray television. The worst like, this... TV ever. I was like, where did they get that TV? No. So I this? have... I have gen and this is no word of a lie. I have paused that scene so many times because there are no cables, there is no webcam, there is no glitches on his line. Like we are all three of us are in Dublin and our Zoom lines are cutting in and out. Your man's in a bleeding plane. We don't know where these guys are. No webcam, there's no cables, there's no Ethernet cable, because I looked for a yellow Ethernet cable. There's no yellow Ethernet cable giving them a strong connection. I don't buy that for a second. 100%. And also, we need to remember, it's 2008. Like, this, this is a pre-really good wireless connections. He's in uh, midair. Like, I, I really just don't, I can't really get my head around like this. Like, for the, I, like from the first second rewatching this, I've completely forgotten about this element of that scene. I was like, why are they doing, why are they lingering on Lau for so long? And like, mm. why is he speaking into midair? Like, because obviously this is like a recorded video that the gangsters are watching. Why is Lau sitting there on a plane speaking in front of him? And I'm like, who are you speaking to? It's like, it can't be the gangsters in the room. Like, what is going on here? Such a strange, I just find that, that scene just so strange. Like, could they not have at least imagined some sort of minority report type screen or like flat screen? But did flat screens exist in 2008? I can't remember. Yeah, they would have done. But like, it's almost, they would have only gotten that quality if, Lau had an iPhone 12 5G and mm. if the, the lads down sitting in the meeting room had, you know, a 4K ultra HD, possibly curved monitor, but even then you'd have cables and you still probably need like a decent connection to be able to deliver that clarity. Also, his audio was perfect as well. They could hear every word he was saying. So I call absolute bullshit on that scene, even though it's a great scene. I can't stop laughing. I'm actually like putting my face away from the microphone because I can't stop laughing at you. I haven't paused a scene to find out if there was cables coming out the back. Oh, I that all the It's I, the most Jess Kelly thing I've ever heard. No, I don't like when people... Like, so technology is amazing, right? Like, it's amazing. Why do you need to like bluff your way through? They could have done it by bloody Morse code and it would have been accurate. I don't think you need to fabricate what already exists. I just think... It's a level too far. And that is one of the most annoying parts of this entire movie. I'm sorry to ruin it for everybody. But next time you watch it, pause it and look for cables. You won't see them. <laughs> is, it, uh, like, is it more annoying than the Coleman-Reese uh, situation? The Coleman-Reese, the, the plucky lawyer who finds the plans to Batmobile in Michael Caine. Oh, no, sorry, Morgan Freeman's basement. And mm. brings it up to him and is like, I want, what is it, $100 million every single year. And yeah, then... 
yeah, for the rest of my life. And then Morgan Freeman like says like four words and he's like, oh God, no, actually I give up. Like it's the biggest climb down ever from, uh, from black men I've ever seen. Like he, like I find him an extremely annoying character and I know that that's the point I was initially making. However, I want to make a case that Coleman Reese makes more sense rewatching this movie than he did in 2008. Like if you're watching this at the time, you're like, how, how do people become radicalized to do mm. something stupid? Like actually turn a switch and say, yes, I want to kill somebody like Coleman Reese. Like I, I, it, it looked fairly dystopian back then. Whereas if you're looking at this movie through the context of 2021, you're like, yeah, it kind of makes sense that a large swathe of people will be influenced by the work of a maniac to actually take action, take to the streets and maybe not kill somebody, but certainly cause grievous bodily harm to another individual. So Coleman Reese has gone in the space of 13 years from the most pointless entity in this movie to a really prescient indication of where society has moved. So thank you, Coleman Reese, is uh, one thing I want to say. I told like I actually was uh, there was a thing that Christopher Nolan said about this film that he loved the idea in the Batman films about Batman actually attracting these villains that these villains wouldn't have actually existed without Batman and Joker says it a few times in the film you completely I wouldn't be able to be anything without you you're the reason I exist and it's like the lunacy or the the craziness of a man dressed up in a black costume with a, in a back outfit attracting these villains <laughs> like I sit there going. It's very um, Trump. <laughs> it's mm. very on the nose. There's some bits that that's just like you must be inciting this madness, and like the predictor of that is insane. Like when you think about, it, we were like we were saying that 2008, you wouldn't have really thought this was possible. But I mean, they stormed the Capitol, and now all of a sudden you're like, yeah, this is like I totally believe this. I'd buy it. I think stuff like that has always been happening, and the only like big difference between now and 2008 is that we have social media that kind of amplifies it but if the media and if business figures and if politicians and the bleeding police were utilizing the services of this maniac going around in a cape and all the rest he's getting a lot of attention he's getting a lot of hype you could see how people would build that narrative of heroes and villains and again it comes back to morality like the point that Owen made about the little dweeb in the suit finding the plans in the basement again they should have been under lock and key or encrypted in a computer protected but also the fact that your man found this stuff and his instinct was to go to blackmail like that to me is an interesting um I suppose character arc for him like if I found something like that I'd be like I'm really sorry I came across this do I (laughs) build a solution to keep it protected like I'm really sorry I won't tell anyone please don't give out to me whereas your man went to blackmail and again it just shows that you don't have to be a superhero or a super villain you can be a micro villain and I think that that's one of the layers within the film is that you do get to see where people stand on the spectrum because I don't think it's just like a, a black or white situation there's a spectrum of morality and you see where people stand And that then goes back to the overarching point of the Joker in terms of he's forcing Gotham or the residents of Gotham to figure out where they stand on things. And at what point do they turn back? And at what point do they keep going to the side of no morals? That's how I would read it. And that's the point where I definitely made the connection between Heath Ledger's Joker and Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, the idea of public anarchy. And I think mm-hmm. like we're getting into how your favorite characters have changed over the years. Sue, I'm not sure of it. Like the fact that Joaquin Phoenix now is in the conversation around best Joker ever, 
does that change now? Do you watch The Dark Knight in a different way now to how you would have watched it pre-2019? In terms of the Joker? Um, yeah, because there's an automatic comparison now with another Oscar Joaquin. winner. Funny enough, because I, I, I've, I've seen Joker, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, twice. And I went back to watch this. And I just think they're, they're just different Jokers. They're from different universes. And when you think of who influenced um, Heath Ledger's Joker, because he went back and read basically the 1940 Batman and he went through the killing joke all of the 80s, really dark Batman graphic novels and loosely based it on certain villains in certain films. And like, I think he's, his was a very different approach. And I think that the, the Joker film with Joaquin Phoenix says something very, very different. And mm. it, it talks, it speaks to mental health and it speaks to mm. how people drop off a cliff in society and how nobody cares about them. But I definitely think that, I don't think they wanted to say that with this Joker. I think it's very, I think it's very, very different. But I, I will say going back and watching this again in, in the, through the light of the current Joker, I appreciated his Joker more. I kind of went, wow, you, you really tried to find the point of chaos, complete chaos, probably to his own detriment and to the, like, I, I know he suffered very badly. I remember reading that thing with Jack Nicholson years ago where Jack Nicholson said to him, don't get too far into that character. He is mad. You need to kind of step away from him a little bit. But he went there. He went completely there and he doesn't exist. There's no fingerprints. There's nothing. Whereas I think Joaquin Phoenix's character is slightly more real there's something about him that makes him more real yeah it's interesting I watched Joker with Joaquin Phoenix and that film broke my heart like it made me feel so sad it wasn't what I was expecting at all and I could imagine that happening to a person like I can imagine it's happening to someone right now like it's not like it doesn't exist in the same realm as Heath Ledger's Joker to me. Like, I think it's just a very, very sad story of like isolation, mental health, confidence. Like there's all of these different strands that go through. And aside from the title and the makeup thing, you wouldn't put them together. Like I I kind of, it's almost amazing that it is the same character, if you know what I mean, because they are polar opposite. But I found Joker... Joaquin Phoenix one like beyond upsetting to watch like I don't think I could watch it again just because you you could see how and imagine how that's the reality for some people if they just go into their head they don't have anything in their lives except for what's in their imagination or, or the consequences of that and I think like it was an incredible performance from Joaquin Phoenix but I do kind of struggle in my head to put them in the same category in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, it felt like the, the Joker, the actual idea of the character in the comic books was just the jump off. Yeah. So, like, it was like, okay, if we take away everything from this person and we put it in that kind of character, this is what happens. Whereas I felt like Heath Ledger was very, it was the rise of him. It, he'd already decided what path he was on and what he was committing to. I think it was a very different interpretation. Mm. Yeah, the the parameters, I think, in which the Joaquin Phoenix Joker exists are very definite. I think we're sure of what sort of character he is. You're right. It's heartbreaking. It's terrible. It's not an easy watch whatsoever. But in many ways, I find it easier as an as a film watching experience than The Dark Knight. Okay, so for, for rewatching it, it's not the same. But for the first time, I think it's a more uneasy experience. The lack of Heath Ledger on your screen for two hours, basically, of this movie is a terrifying thing. 
Whereas with Joaquin Phoenix, it's like he's always there. You always mm-hmm. kind of know at least what he's doing at the moment. The horror that he is committing right now, at least it's occurring on screen or the horrible thing that is happening to him is happening on screen right now. Whereas with Heath Ledger, it's like, what is going on off screen right now? And as soon as that bloody bat suit hits that window in the mayor's <laughs> office, it just completely throws the whole thing out of, out of the water. And like, even when you go back and watch this, as we've done this week, that gets me every time. It scares me shitless. I hate jump scares. And I'd like, I'm just like, okay, Dark Knight, here we go. This is why I don't actually really rewatch that movie. That I, this is why you cannot go to sleep to the Dark Knight <laughs> because of... Like that screen. No, but it like it's almost soothing. Do you know what I mean? I think I, I don't know. Maybe I am just like, like maybe I'm bonkers. I think that's what we're taking away from this. You should watch the Dark Dark Knight, and I'm bonkers. But I do think when that scene happens, like I love that scene because you are like, oh, okay, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And the other thing that we didn't talk about as well is the footage of the hostages that the Joker takes. You know, when he has the guy who's dressed mm. up as bad put the clown face on and you see the manic nature of the Joker like I think that to me makes me think that Heath led that, that the Joker is the Joker by choice rather than Joaquin Phoenix's Joker which is yeah. out of situations like he's made a conscious decision to be this way he's either chosen to believe in something or chosen to believe in nothing and just wants anarchy but I think that is a really good um scene and I, like I don't know I just love this movie I kind of want to watch it now yeah like I, I have to like before we finish up I just have to talk about the police station scene because I, I love that so much all of that sequence and the name um, name of Commissioner Gordon and he's just sitting there going yeah in the cell and the intimidation like they just like sucks the life out of that entire moment for all the police are like why is this guy just clapping and when they send Batman into the cell and like they don't refer, they don't call each other by name. And then there's just like intimidating the guy and trying to get him to beat him up. Like all of that is just incredible. That like he mesmerized, every time he's on screen, he just sucks the life out of everything else. He's just so, so good. And I just, yeah, like there's parts of me that thinks, I go back and watch this film because I love Batman, but I go back and I watch it because of Heath Ledger. I really do. Like he's just incredible in it. He just owns every scene. And even if you watch, like apparently that scene with the slow clap was improvised. That wasn't in the script. He just did it because he felt like it was a jokery thing to do. But even if you go and look at some of the images that were taken, like during filming or in, like during breaks when they were filming, like he was going around, Heath Ledger was going around on a skateboard, fully dressed as the Joker. He almost kind of embodied and just absorbed everything about that character. I think he, he kind of did from what I've read, um, like almost become like the, the, the Joker character. And I think that's why I was really disappointed when all the Oscar hype and the awards hype around this film where it was kind of saying that he's only getting this acknowledgement because he died. I don't think that's fair. I don't think it's justified. I think if you watch it again, from the very first scene, you are sucked in and it's because of the way Heath Ledger carries himself, the way he walks, the way his shoulders are. Like it's such small mannerisms that he he brings yeah. to the part that I think make it an incredible performance. But that alongside a really good cast, a great storyline, and then those jumpy moments that Owen was talking about, like the soundscape in this movie is class. Like it is stunning. And I think on every level, it just, it kind of blows me away a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. 
we've got one more question and I think we kind of know the answer to this one. So every <laughs> week we're going to ask our guests and ourselves, uh, if this is on the TV, would you watch it? So I don't know, Jess, you can take this question up any way you want. If it's on the TV, you watch it. For me personally, it's would I be okay watching this if I've already missed an hour of it, I catch it maybe halfway through an ad break, am I still sticking with it sort of thing? Mm -hmm. So what do you think? I'll put it to you this way. So for Christmas this year, I got the 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray version of it because the the DVD I got of it is worn out. I also own it in iTunes and I also own it in Google Play. So that way, no matter where I am, I have access do this film so yes Owen I would re-watch it if it was already on for a few minutes I would absolutely watch it yeah Soup. yeah I would too and like it's I'm so I'm such a complete weirdo when it comes to this I like Jess like I have access to films all over the place but if something's on the tv I get weirdly excited about it I'm like oh look Jack Mind is on as if it doesn't exist anywhere else in my house but um I would it's the kind of thing where if I turned it on and it's in the middle of the police station scene or if it's in the middle of that amazing, which we didn't even talk about, that he, that chase sequence with the when he, the Batman comes out on the bat bike, like come on, that bat pod thing is incredible. As in, like any point in this film, like even if it's the last ten minutes, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm in. I'll just watch the end of it. Ooh, the soundtrack's great. I'll watch the the credits as well. Like it's just, it's endlessly rewatchable for that. Like. Without question, there's one last thing I want to add here, and I want to give every film we watch a hangover rating. So, how watchable is this if you're hungover? I'm giving The Dark Knight a 2.7 out of 10. <laughs> this is not a hangover movie whatsoever. And like, I've already... Uh, That's not cool. It's 2.7 in my movie. Well, like, it's a, it's, a, it's a close to 10 out of 10 movie. But uh, for the Batman, the dead Batman hitting the window of the mayor alone, <laughs> this is a 2.7. Do not watch while you're hungover. I just, again, like, we, we may as well finish how we started. Jess Kelly watches this movie to go to sleep. I, I just don't know how you do it. Yeah, no, I could watch this if I'm hungover, if I'm happy, if I'm sad, if I'm bored, if I'm busy. Like, base, I don't know how I get anything else done in my life because I watch it so much. So, yes, it's a hangover movie for sure. No, right. I, could, I couldn't do this as a hangover. Like, I, I'm talking about the same as own. I remember years ago, like, this is what I put in the same bracket as it. I went to see Black Swan as, as a preview screening the morning after a free bar for a company event. And I came out and I don't think I've ever shook like that for the entire day. <laughs> I was in bits and I was like, no, like thinking about it, I would never. It, he just scares me too much. Like it's, there's one bit in um, The Dark Knight where he changes his voice. Like let's not even talk about how much Batman changes his voice. But the bit where he'd let her change, like, and he shouts at somebody. And at yeah. that moment you're like, he is capable of anything. I'm terrified of him. And I definitely don't think I could do that at a hangover. No. No, neither can I. Um, listen, it's been a pleasure listening to the technological breakdown to how much you love this film, Jess. Uh, this has been Let's Go Back to the Dark Knight. You can get in touch if there's any films or TV show you'd like us to go back and look at again over the next couple of weeks. Sue, thank you. Jess no Kelly, worries. thank you. Thank you very much. Subscribe to this podcast for free on the Go Loud app.